Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11 at verse 23. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your sacraments. We thank you for the, the grace, the means of grace that they are. We thank you that we were able to be nourished on the body and blood of Jesus even this morning. Father, as we think about the marks of the church, I ask that you would bless our thoughts and meditations. May they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. So this is the third of three sermons on the marks of the church. We've covered the first two, which are, there we go, preaching of the word, no, you're wrong, Mike, you're wrong. No, that's tonight. Okay, thank you. All right, that didn't take too long. You said it? Okay, so this row wants credit. So merit, your merit is building up. Your merit is building up. That treasury of merit in the third row. So tonight we focus on the third of those, marks of the true church. And and the marks of the church are those things without which there is not a church. 
We're not talking about relative levels of purity here. We're talking about what is a church and what is not a church. And the Reformers said that three, these three things we've mentioned already are the marks of the church. They must be present to have a true church. The preaching of the word of God, the um, faithful exercise of church discipline, and the right administration of the sacraments. Right? And so that's where we're going to focus uh, this time. The right administration of the sacraments. Now, a little bit of the historical context. Were the sacraments in good order when the Protestant Reformation came along? No. And who had made a hash of the sacraments? The Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church really had... One, they had multiplied sacraments beyond, and, and a sacrament is something that is commanded by Christ in the scripture, commanded by him, administered, uh, and, and ordained by, by him. And so they had made um, sacraments beyond the sacraments that we recognize, right? We recognize two, baptism in the Lord's Supper, Right? And they had added five others, like marriage, last rites. Um, we, could, we could get them all if we, if we went through it. Right? I don't have them listed here. Yeah, there we go. No, thanks. R- reforming Roman Catholic back there. Um, <clears throat> But, it, but that is not why they had made a hash of them, right? They had multiplied sacraments, but the reason that they had made the sacraments something they were not is that they divorced the sacraments from faith, okay? That the sacraments would work by the doing of them rather than there having to be faith which would make them work, Right? And so their view, they had an ex opere operato view of the sacraments. And that's a fancy way of saying uh, they work by working. They work by the doing. They, the doing works. Something like that, right? Who knows, who knows Latin? Right? And so, uh, and so you, could, you could have no faith at all, and yet you could have an infusion of grace by taking of the Lord's Supper. Faith is not necessary for the functioning, and those sacraments infuse grace on their own, independent of the Spirit's work or faith. And so what they believed is that baptism regenerated Right? They still hold to this doctrine to today. Baptism makes somebody alive. Now, often what they did was delay baptism until the last point before they died because they believed that in baptism there was a washing away of, of all sins and original sin, and so they began delaying baptism right to the end. And the Lord's Supper because of their view of transubstantiation that the elements actually changed into, they didn't appear to, but they actually changed into the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so they became, uh, if that's the case, then the priest, after he gives his, 
his incantation or whatever you want to call it, his blessing, and those elements become actual body and blood, then they have to be handled very carefully, right? And so Roman Catholics and Lutherans to this day who believe in, the, in this physical presence still pour the wine directly into the ground rather than into the sewer system and profane the body of Christ. They have special sinks in their churches in which the, 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 uh, the wine is poured down those to go directly into the ground. And the body, the bread, was, um, you know, they believed to become the, the very body of Christ. But then they stopped giving both the elements to their churches because they didn't want people to profane the body by um, spilling it on the floor, right, or, or accidentally dropping something. And so eventually the, the, the priest before the people was the only one taking the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, in a sense, on behalf of the people. And so the Protestant Reformation comes along and they, says, okay, they, they say, okay, we're going to reform according to the scriptures, sola scriptura. We're going to reform according to the scriptures, and that means we only see evidence that Christ has ordained two sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And so those are our two sacraments. The others we're going, we, we honor marriage still, but marriage is not a sacrament. And so they reform in that way, and then they also reform their understanding of baptism and their understanding of the Lord's table. And they return the people of the church to their rightful place in taking the elements of the Lord's table, right? Both elements, the body and the blood, just as Jesus delivered it to his apostles and then to us. Now, today, we're in a much different context, aren't we? There, if there's any, I mean, thinking about the sacraments, evangelicals don't really even care about the sacraments. They, they don't even think about the sacraments much. They may make a big to-do about baptism, but certainly the Lord's Supper is, is um, de-emphasized, almost overlooked, very infrequently done. Often you'll have evangelical churches today, American Baptist churches, who have children at the Lord's table even before they've made a profession and been baptized, right? Whereas we would see that out of order, right? Baptism marks entrance into the church and into the covenant community, and then the Lord's table is for those who have professed and know him. But, but evangelicals de-emphasize it. They, they don't really think about it. And as far as the Lord's table is concerned, they think it's just a mere memorial meal, thinking it's a time during the service where you can put your mind on the cross and think back. That's all the sacrament is. They have a memorialist view of the sacraments, of certainly of the Lord's table, right? And we, we as Reformed believers, following our doctrinal standards, believe that these sacraments are means of God's blessing. They are much more than just memorial, memorials to the Lord. Now, the other thing is they restored the importance and the centrality of faith to the sacraments, right? No longer was it an ex opere operato 
view, but there, there must be faith conjoined with the sacraments. When it comes to baptism and the baptism of children, it's the faith of the parents, right? That is important because those parents baptize their children based upon the covenant promises that God has made to be a God to you and your children. And then the Lord's table. We just read 1 Corinthians 11, and it, it, it enforces, by the apostle, it enforces faith, coming to the table with faith. There's a way in which you can come to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. Now, no one even considers that today. An evangelical church wouldn't think there's an unworthy, the only unworthy manner of coming to the Lord's table would be to, to not come. Right, But we think there's an unworthy manner, and that's when you don't discern the Lord's body, when you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, when you have not put your trust in him, then you come to the table, and instead of it being a table of blessing, it becomes a table of cursing. And so they were very, very careful, as Scripture is, um, based upon Scripture, to return faith to the sacraments. No ex opere operato, no infusion of grace, no, um, no, no power other than condemnation away from, from faith. And so baptism, baptism, our view of baptism is that it marks entrance into the church and the Lord's table marks continuance in the church. Okay, so what do both of them do? What do the sacraments do? They essentially distinguish God's people from the world. That's what a sacrament does. It is a distinguishing mark of the believer. Right? Baptism sets you apart as the Lord's. And coming to the table is your continuation in God's covenant community. Okay? Now, <clears throat> Evangel Presbytery, as you likely know, has been accused of not rightly administering the sacraments. Can you imagine why Evangel Presbytery has been accused of this by crunchy Presbyterians? Well, it's because we allow an exception on timing and mode of baptism. Right? We, allow, we, we think that in the church, credo-baptists and paedo-baptists should be able to uh, fellowship together, even, uh, even in the same church, even on the same elder board, even over the sacraments. Right? Now, here's the deal. Presbyterians today, OPC, PCA, ARP, all these guys, will fellowship and commiserate with Reformed Baptists everywhere. Publishing companies, John Piper has preached at a PCA General Assembly. Um, the the uh, conference circuit, right, um, will invite Reformed Baptists or uh, Reformed Presbyterians into our pulpits and they'll preach and lead God's people. But, but that's, where, that's where it stops, and there is no fellowship over the sacraments. In fact, that's where great division occurs. 
And really, it's the conviction of Evangel Presbytery that that's a grievous division that has not honored the Lord. Now, we'll continue to argue with one another about who's right on credo or pedo baptism and whether children should come to, um, come to baptism or not, and we will do that. But we think that, that, that uh, delaying baptism is, is an acceptable exception to the Westminster Standards. So a man can come in who's a credo Baptist and he can say, look, I take an exception to what the Westminster Standard says on, on timing of baptism. I don't think it should be applied to children of believers. I think it should be pref- applied to children who at about the age of eight profess their faith, right? Or 10, getting to 12, and they start getting nervous. <clears throat> now, that's, that's unfair. That is unfair. They, they believe that there should be a profession of faith, and so they tie it to the faith of the recipient and delay it. But this is not what we've been accused of, which is contemning and neglecting the, the, um, the sacraments, right? Westminster Confession of Faith says that it is a great sin to contemn, and that means to hate, or to neglect the ordinances, right, to ne- neglect baptism. And we say th- they don't intend either of those things. I think that's speaking to what Roman Catholics used to do, which is to delay baptism all the way to the end, and that's neglect, right? They don't apply it when faith is present. They apply it at the end because they have a false view of what it does, okay? And so we don't believe that credo Baptists are hating the sacraments. They love the sacraments. They see a difference in when it should be applied, that timing. Okay? The delay of baptism till profession is not neglect of baptism. Right? And um, contemning would be to not baptize at all, to cast it away entirely because you just think it's profane or unnecessary. Right. Our credo-baptist brothers delay the application of the sign and seal of faith until profession. So we're, we're trying to, um, and so I think, um, I think if you're interested in thinking through that more specifically, you should go look at uh, Evangel Presbytery's Book of Church Order and, and see what we say on baptism, on the chapter on baptism, and why we hold to that. Now, each church in Evangel Presbytery can declare what they're going to be. If they're going to be paedo-baptist, if they're going to be credo-baptist, or if they're going to be a combination of both, right? And Trinity has declared that we are paedo-baptist, okay? So at the presbytery level, we commiserate with credo-baptist. At the local level, we have uh, asserted our conviction that the elders and the pastors need to hold to pedo baptism. All right. I'd take questions, but that would be that would be difficult. So let's go on from there. The reason I mention that is because because I've heard accusations that 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 Evangel Presbytery is is not properly administrating the sacraments. So I just wanted to say a few things about that. Now, what is Let's focus in on the Lord's table. And I think 
the proper administration of the Lord's table, again, we just read 1 Corinthians 11. And what does it do? What does 1 Corinthians 11 do? Fundamentally, what does it, what does it do? It adds something to, to the Lord's table that one must do. And what is that? Yeah, there's examination that must occur. Right? And so when I, when I come, like this morning, when I came down and used that old Scottish liturgy, the whole point of that is to cause you to examine yourself before you come to the table. That's what the Reformed have referred to as the fencing of the table. We fence off the table. And so you'll, you'll hear me say most Sundays, if not all of the Sundays, that this is a table for believers. Right? And then, and then I'll go down from there and ratchet it up a little bit and say this is a table for repenting believers. Right? And there are times when you should withhold yourself from this table because you may be taking you may be eating in an unworthy manner you may be taking the sacrament in an unworthy manner and there is judgment that comes with that kind of partaking of the sacrament now no one believes that today that you can come and and there's judgment that and and what does he say for he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly For this reason, many among you, he's saying to the Corinthians, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep, right? And that's a euphemism. That means a number of you have died, right? A number of you have died. And so there is danger that comes to coming to the table in an unworthy manner. And so that's one of the reasons why we fence the table. Now, some churches you've been in, they don't fence the table. They just say, come on, everybody come. You know, it doesn't matter what you believe, just, just come down and let's reflect on what Jesus has done for us. Come to the table, have a little bit of bread, have a little wine. And there's no warning at all. There's no warning of any of the spiritual weight that is coming to the table. No warning at all. In, in, others, um, in other circumstances, uh, you know, there, there may be um, an introduction, but again, it's not a warning. They may say some words before they come to the table, but essentially what they're doing is not warning anybody that they should stay away if they're not the Lord's. They're just sort of trying to get you to meditate on the things of the Lord, right? I, I want to fence the table because... I've been charged as a minister of the sacraments, a steward of the mysteries of God, right, to, to guard the Lord's table from those who might profane the table. And now this ties into church discipline. What do we do with church discipline? After admonition, what do we do? Everything has to do with whether or not that person under discipline can come to the Lord's table. Because we don't want people coming to the table and reaping judgment, right? We're keeping them from the judgment of God. We're being merciful in telling them not to come to this. So the second stage of church discipline is suspension from the sacraments. The third, the third level of, of discipline is excommunication from the church. 
complete putting out so that you may not profane the table of the Lord. And so that's what I believe the Reformers meant when they talked about the proper administration of the sacraments. That is the proper administration of the Lord's table. There are warnings. There are, there's a fencing of the table. There's a reminder that, these, that this is real spiritual power. And so um, this is the key issue, the, the fencing of the table. Now, who doesn't fence the table today? Well, evangelicals barely celebrate the Lord's table. They don't fence the table. Um, Catholics have no conception of what that would possibly mean to fence the table. Anglicans do not fence the table. Eastern Orthodox don't. Most Presbyterians don't. Most Baptists don't. And within the Reform camp, paedo-communionists do not fence the table. Right? Paedo-communionists are those who believe that by virtue of baptism, you immediately come to the Lord's table. And that means one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old. And we would say that that's before the time that they could possibly actively do self-examination, which is required in this passage in 1 Corinthians 11. There's no way they can do that self-examination work. And so we delay their admission to the Lord's table until they make a credible profession of faith, at which point, and, and they, can, they have some self-knowledge. They have some ability to examine themselves. But paedo-communionists by necessity, can't fence the table. They cannot because they have divorced, just like Roman Catholics, they have divorced faith from the table. Okay, And so by virtue of baptism, they believe that children, even infants in some cases, should come to the Lord's table. Uh, you know, parents dipping their fingers into the wine and putting it on the tongue and and somehow um, maybe mixing it up with the, the wine so that the, uh, the bread can be swallowed. And so we, don't, we, we think that that's an improper administration of the sacrament and a very dangerous and unfaithful exercise in the church. Okay? Now, here's an example. This is from, some of you know Andy Halsey, He's a church planner in Evangel Presbytery in Columbus, Indiana, and um, he wrote this for uh, at, at some point on Warhorn, and it's an example of Calvin and Geneva fencing the table that I love. Here's what he writes. He says, take Calvin's Geneva. When Calvin and his fellow reformers demonstrated great respect for the civil magistrate's authority and unique sphere of responsibility, did those same civil magistrates leave the Christian church alone? Here's a summary of one of the conflicts between Calvin and the Geneva civil magistrates or town councilmen. In 1553, Berthelier, a libertine who had been excommunicated by the church, by the consistory of Geneva, for his open immorality, requested and was granted readmission to the Lord's table from the town's little council. Okay. So we got, a, we got some jurisdiction problems going on in Geneva, and that was always the warfare going on in Geneva. The town council was telling 
the church who could come to the table. Geneva's ecclesiastical ordinances of 1541 made clear this authority rested with the consistory, but the libertines were agitating against the reformers and wanted the right to rest in the, ta- the town's councils, of course. Of his meeting with that council, Calvin wrote, I took an oath that I had resolved rather to meet death than profane so shamefully the holy supper of the Lord. My ministry is abandoned if I suffer the authority of the consistory to be trampled upon and extend the supper of Christ to open scoffers. I should rather die a hundred times than subject Christ to such foul mockery. Beza, Calvin's first biography, summed up the protest. He said, therefore, Calvin, in, name, in the name of the presbytery, made strenuous and unremitting opposition showing that magistrates ought to be the vindicators, not the destroyers of sacred laws. In short, he omitted nothing which a contest of so much moment demanded. When it came to a vote, Calvin lost. But the council thought it wise to warn Berthelier, for the sake of the peace of the city, not to try to take the sacrament. So, so the town council's like, whoa, what have we done? Right? Okay, we we won that vote, but man, this is going to be gnarly. The next day, a mob of libertines without Berthelier did show up, and Calvin made good on his oath. The armed mob began to approach the tables, and Calvin put his arms around the vessels and called out, These hands you may crush, these arms you may lop off, my life you may take, my blood is yours, you may shed it but you will never force me to give holy things to the profane and dishonor the table of my God. After this, says Bates, the sacred ordinance was celebrated with a profound silence and under solemn awe in all present, as if the deity himself had been visible among them. And so there is Calvin physically fencing the table, right? Physically fencing the table because this is the body and blood of Christ that we partake by faith, right? Spiritually, by the work of the Spirit, right? We believe in the real presence of Christ, not the physical presence, but a real spiritual presence. And there's, there's, there's the minister of the word standing before the congregation and thinking this is the body of Christ and these foul, profane, immoral men who have been excommunicated from the church are going to come and profane the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And I will not allow it, right? And he's like, bring your swords, cut off my arms. You know, I'm going to be here protecting the purity of the church, right? He had in mind, and so the the, the proper administration of the sacraments is not, not merely about the recipient coming in a worthy manner. It's also about the church and her elders protecting the purity of the church. And no one thinks about that aspect of the assembly of Christ today. The purity of the church, right? Isn't church supposed to be, you know, aren't we all supposed to be, uh, isn't it supposed to be open to all and, and all are alike and we're all on the level playing field? Well, no. 
No, the sacraments divide all of humanity between those who believe and those who do not, between those who are engaged to be the Lord's and those who are not engaged to be the Lord's. Okay? And so the sacraments are dividing the whole world. Every time you come to the, every time you see a baptism, you should think that child is being plucked out of the world and, and is being set apart for the Lord. Right? Every time you come to the Lord's table, you should be praising God that you are able to come and feast on the body and blood of Christ while others are kept from it. Right? That is an amazing privilege of the Lord. And that, dear brothers and sisters, is the proper administration of the sacraments. Now, um, listen to... Listen to how Calvin fenced the table regularly. Right? These are the words that Calvin used when he fenced the, tables, the table. We have heard, my brothers, how our Lord administered his supper among his disciples, and in this he shows us that strangers, that is, those not of the company of the faithful, should not be admitted. Following this rule, therefore, in the name and by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, I excommunicate all idolaters, blasphemers, despisers of God, heretics, and all who form separate parties to break the unity of the church, all perjurers, all those who rebel against their father and mother and against their superiors, all fomenters of sedition or mutiny, quarrelers, fighters, adulterers, fornicators, sexual deviants, thieves, lovers of money, plunderers, drunkards, gluttons, and all those who lead a scandalous life. Declaring to those that they are to abstain from this holy table, lest they pollute and contaminate the sacred food which our Lord Jesus Christ gives only to his servants and faithful ones. Therefore, according to the exhortation of the Apostle Paul, let each one test and examine his own conscience to know whether he truly repents of his faults and is sorry for them, desiring from now on to live in holiness and in conformity with God, and above all, whether he trusts in the mercy of God and seeks his salvation wholly from Jesus Christ, and whether renouncing all hostility and malice, he has the good intention and the courage to live in harmony and brotherly love with his neighbors. If we have such a testimony in our hearts before God, let us not doubt in the least that he acknowledged us to be his children and that the Lord Jesus is speaking to us, bringing us to his table and offering us this holy sacrament which he delivered to his disciples. And since we are conscious of, of much frailty and misery in ourselves, as well as not having a perfect faith, but that we are prone rather to unbelief and distrust so that we are not entirely dedicated to serving God and with such zeal as we ought. But we have instead a daily, we have a battle daily against the lusts of our flesh. Nevertheless, since our Lord has granted us this grace of having his gospel engraved on our heart so that we might resist all unbelief, and he has given us the desire and longing to renounce our own desires to pursue his righteousness and holy commandments. Let us all be assured that the sins and imperfections that are in us will not prevent him from receiving us. 
nor from making us worthy to share in this spiritual table. For we do not come insisting that we are perfect or righteous in ourselves, but rather seeking our life in Jesus Christ. We confess that we are dead. Let us understand, therefore, that the sacrament is a medicine for the poor, spiritually sick people, and that the only worthiness that our Lord requires of us is to know ourselves well enough to be displeased with our sins and find all our pleasure, joy, and contentment in him alone. That's fencing the table, right? You notice several elements of it, and I'll, I'll stop here. There are several elements of this. The one is, first, he excommunicated all those who were openly breaking the Ten Commandments of God, right? He's like, you're out. If you have... If, if those are the things you love, if those are the things you are committed to, you, I excommunicate you. As he's fencing the table, right? The bread and the blood are before him. And he's, he's telling people, do not come if you are a lover of money, if you rebel against your mother and father, all these things. And then he says, examine yourself. Right? You have work to do. And what does that mean? It means knowing what you've sinned, confessing them before the Lord, and being sorry for your sins. And then to, the, to the, those who, who are tender of conscience, right? which is not everybody. Right? There are some who are more tender, and there are times when you are more tender than at other times. Right? He, he, then he, he aims for the tender of conscience who say, well, I'm not worthy to come. And he says, well, this table is not for the perfect. This is for sinners who are sorry for their sins. Right? Very simply put, this is for those who are sorry for their sins, not for the perfect, but for sinners. And then he says, be assured that the sins and imperfections that remain in us will not prevent him from receiving us. Which is so sweet, right? We don't come to the table perfect ever. We don't come to the table having perfectly examined ourselves. Right? But if there is a general disposition after you've examined yourself and confessed specific sins, if there's a general admission that you are dead in your sins and that you are sorry for your sins and that you seek for your life in Christ, well, then we can come with great faith to the table. We can come without hindrance to the table of the Lord. So that's all the work of fencing the table. That's the proper administration of the Lord's table. That is not what you find in very many churches today, right? And that's because the, the table has become a memorialist view. They don't believe there's any power in it. It's just some neat thing that we get to do to think about the cross, right? And, and there, that, that is generally what... Um, what you will find in the churches today. So again, if there's one day down the road and you're looking for a new church, not because you've blown out of this one, but because you've moved, this is what you look for. Preaching, right? Church discipline. Ask the pastor when was the last time they disciplined anybody, right? And then wait until the celebration of the Lord's table and see what the pastor does. Does the pastor care about the holiness of Christ's body and blood? Does he care about the purity of, his, of the church? Does he, does he have any sense that the sacraments divide God's people from the world? 
And does he have any loving protectiveness to this meal that does still kill? Right? Is there anything there? And so those are the things you look for. These are the marks of the church. These are things that must be present. And if they are not present, then you begin doubting whether that church is a true church. These, these hold true. There are not, there's not another element I would add to these things. These three are enough. Right? These three are enough. If you have these things, though the complexion of the church may be different than ours, the seating arrangement may be different, the color of the carpet may be different, the size of the church, right? the location of the church, a thousand things could be different. But if these things are present, then that's, that's a true church. That's a church where you, you have um, the good possibility of being fed, of growing in the Lord, and of, of being part of the true local body of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your church. Lord, it, it is our home. It is your household, and we love to reside in your church. Our affections are set here. And so, Father, I pray that, that as a church, that this church would have these marks, that this church, even, even beyond the time uh, when I'm gone, but even during the time that I'm here and the elders that are serving are serving, I pray that these marks would be found here. Pray that your word would be preached. Pray that we would, we would courageously practice church discipline. And Father, we pray that your, your sacraments would be administered here properly. And Father, we pray that you would, through these means, build us up, that this would be the, the, your fatherly care for each individual here in Trinity Presbyterian Church. I pray that, that these means would carry us through until the day when we die and face judgment and stand before you, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, sanctified, glorified, ready to serve you in the, the new heavens and new earth where sin will no longer afflict us and these, these uh, means will become superfluous. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.